First today, an update on significant developments emerging around that swirling behemoth, our compulsory superannuation industry. It certainly doesn't stay still for long, and in a way, you'd hardly expect it to do so, given its sheer scale these days. The Labor government's now tabled a bill in Parliament formally describing the purpose of the system, building on a definition offered by the Morrison government. Then early this week, a Financial Review exclusive report said the so-called Big Eight super funds would soon unite under a policy and lobby group that would be notably bipartisan. Plus, the former super and union chief, now chair of the Net Zero Economy Agency, Greg Combay, gave his first public speech on his aims. That was to a Sydney summit. He said our enormous pool of super money could be, quote, unlocked to engage more in decarbonising the economy. He likened it to post-war reconstruction in the 1940s, but he acknowledged risks had to be properly accounted for. Well, Jeremy Cooper's joining us now. He's been deeply absorbed in the industry's development over many years. He conducted a big inquiry in the mid-2000s on it, and he attended a big conference this week on various changes, and I'm pleased to welcome him to the studio. Hello there. Hi there. Geraldine, how are you? Good, thank you. Now, why do we need a newly defined or fleshed out definition, given that we had one just a few years back, about which we we talked to you for this 30-year-old system of ours? Yes, it does seem like uh, an odd question indeed. The original architects, uh, you know, 30-odd years ago, and I'll call out one specific instance, um, Treasurer John Dawkins tabled when the... uh, when the legislation um, creating compulsory super was passed in 1993, he tabled a report that was actually called Security and Retirement Planning for Tomorrow Today. They've always got snappy titles, these things. But when you read that document, it seems plainly obvious that uh, uh, he and and, uh, the other people involved in writing that knew exactly what super was for. So they'd be somewhat bemused that here we are 30 years later defining a purpose. And it's all about politics. The the vast um, sum of money has just become more and more contested. I, I suppose that's modern modern life, is, isn't it? Everything's contested and super is no exception. And so it gets pushed and pulled in all directions. It, it should be doing this, it should be doing that. People should be able to access it for housing and so on. And so what this purpose does is it tries to put super back on um, I wouldn't say rails because it has to be has to be flexible, but but giving it some sort of direction to point in. What are the words being used? Yeah, well, look, um, the words are <clears throat> the words are worth reading. So, I'll quickly uh, I'll quickly just read out. It's only one sentence. So, the objective of superannuation is to preserve savings, to deliver income for a dignified retirement, alongside government support in an equitable and sustainable way. Now, if I were a an English teacher like my wife is, I'd give that about an A. It's very nicely written. It, um, it picks up all of the, uh, the sort of key words and um, it's, it's nice and sharp. So as a set of words, um, I, think, I think it's excellent. Um, and is it, a bill, is it very different from the Morrison government one? <clears throat> it is. Uh, the Morrison version just had a lot of those adjectives taken out of it. So it was, it was just too anodyne. It didn't have 
any ambition in it, I think, was was probably the main criticism. When you look at words like equitable, dignified, sustainable, they, they are our, our sort of ambition. Now, there were, mm. were critics of those who said, oh, well, those words will just cause trouble, they'll cause arguments. But I think I think it's landed in a good place. And it doesn't have any um, mixed meaning to the extent that it could have had rather uh, elegant um, additional words saying, <clears throat> and if possible, could be used for nation-building purposes or something. Uh, it? Yes, it hasn't look, done that. Once you go down that path, it's never-ending. Okay. So you, you could criticise it in, in, in the, you know, there are, there are lots of things experts like me would want to tack into it, but the minute you start doing that, it just it just potentially collapses under its own weight. And also, um, it, it has to live, um, you know, in a very rapidly changing world. Mm. And I think there's a sufficient amount of ambition but also a sufficient amount of flexibility in those words. There are now regularly reports of how big super is investing its money. You know, apparently it's put quite a lot into our much-discussed transmission systems already and um, uh, Australian super's $2.5 billion investment in a European data centre owner, Vantage Data Centres, is really causing some comment. Now, would you say from your observation that priorities are shifting um, the bigger the system gets or not? Is that not right? They are, but if we're, if we're talking, I suppose, the, the single biggest uh, issue facing it, us at the moment, and that is uh, climate change, and I say that sitting here in, in September in Sydney where the average temperature maximum is 20, it's going to be 32 today. And, uh, you know, we've, we've all seen... Uh, you know, Europe has been sweltering. We've re- recorded in July the, the hottest days ever on this planet. And so climate change is the um, single biggest issue. And a system like super, actually, uh, it's, a big, it's a big pot of money that requires growth in order to derive profits to, to then pay back to retirees out of, their, out of the ways that, wages that they sacrifice into super. And when you look at what that growth is, it's largely, almost entirely, you can't think of any uh, economic activity that doesn't involve the, the emission of, of carbon. Um, building a building, agriculture, the extraction of coal, steel, uh, it, it's almost impossible so to it's think... it's our modern world. It's our modern world. And so a system that um, benefits from that for all of our, all of our, our well-being, I think carries an obligation to really, uh, I guess, to, to help get us to the 2030 targets, which are, um, in, in Chris Bowen's language, uh, ambitious but achievable, mm. uh, I think, I think it's going to be very difficult for a, an economy like Australia's to, to get there. And I think the super system needs to do a lot more than just outsourcing uh, these issues to, to some uh, relatively uh, small so-called proxy advisors, and they need to uh, to muscle up and actually be doing things directly themselves, which they are doing. Recent research shows that around about 10%, it's probably more than that, but 10% of the renewable electricity, because that's the target that we've set ourselves to remuse, reduce mm. emissions vis-a-vis mm. our electricity system, around about 10%, let's call it 15%, of the capital being employed in things like wind and solar and large batteries. Said, transmission and transmission lines. Transmission lines is mm. very, very important. Uh, 
is being done by super, but that I, I agree with Combe here. That you know, there needs there needs to be a lot more. Well, uh, actually, you know, his, his remarks yesterday were very interesting. We have a standing invitation to Greg Combe to come on the program and and uh, uh, and discuss uh, how he sees his his job because I think it is fascinating. I'm going to read exactly what he said because I think it's worth listeners hearing it. One of the things in my mind is to be thinking about how we can open up investment opportunities for commensurate risk-adjusted returns for institutional investors, including super funds, to be in the energy transition in a more significant way, to be in the decarbonisation process by taking stakes in companies or being lenders to assist that happening, to co-invest with institutions like the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. But that's something we've not unlocked yet. Now, are you hearing other views like that, Jeremy? Absolutely. We're seeing, we're seeing um, you know, overseas um, participants, um, you know, coming and cutting our lunch again um, in our market, you know. So a lot of the players uh, uh, doing um, wind and solar and, and in investing in projects like that, when you look at the players um, in the sort of Gippsland, all these these new... Um, like the Canadians, oh, for instance. Canadians, uh, the um, the Danish, uh, you know, we need to be careful that we, we you know, we participate um, accordingly. But are they... <laughs> The question is, are they yielding, are they giving their recipients back in Canada and Denmark full uh, bang for their buck, for their investment, I mean, for their retirement? I mean, this is the great question. By doing this, and I think he's hinting at that, do you need some form of co-investment by government-prompted um, uh, capital in order to be absolutely sure that you're not selling your own clients short? Absolutely, I think the, this this is, is is such a. You mentioned, I think, in quoting, uh, in quoting Combe, you know, about a war effort. Now you have to be very careful about using mm. wars, and <laughs> when you're trying to express ideas. But there's no there's no question that this is in in that league that. Um, the decarbonisation. Yes, it is. Um, the, 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 the changes that we're all going to have to participate in are, are very significant. Uh, all right. The, the next obvious question is, are our policies and approach keeping up with the sheer scale of this industry and what you say it's going to have to be drawn into? Yes, um, it wasn't so um, obvious in in the most recent inter, inter, intergenerational report, but certainly in the last one, the sheer projected scale of the super system was um, was almost um, almost terrifying in the sense that it it was going to be in in future dollars. So this is out in twenty mm. in the twenty sixties, going to be ten times the size of the existing system and would dwarf things like the stock exchange and, and so on. Now, to date, we've only had positive um, impacts from such a large amount of money that's it's really not under the government's control. It's not really under any sort of regulatory um, control. Uh, when the GFC happened, what, what, what the Australian super system did was it, it repatriated vast amounts of capital that were overseas. And it, um, it then used that um, for everybody's benefit, but certainly for the, the system's benefit, to recapitalise our banks and other important corporates and so on. That was an incredibly positive outcome. The danger is uh, that if we're not careful, we're not watching what the negative um, implications of, of such free-flowing and, and really uncontrolled um, 
capital that's that's very very large vis-a-vis our uh, our what, economy. What, what do you mean? Well, um, so at the moment our GDP, let's just use round examples, might be two and a half trillion dollars, and the super systems three and a half trillion. So um, it's it's. You know, there are very few companies. So in, in, in relation to that ratio, it re- would really be Switzerland, uh, Canada, the Netherlands and us in that elite league where we have pension systems that are so big in relation to our economies. Right. And um, <coughs> what could the distortion be? I'm just trying to think it through. What, what, you know, what would be the impact on... If, as long, if they're delivering, you know, properly this, this retirement we've talked about, what's yep. the matter? <laughs> uh, the matter is, um, well, the, the Norway is a really good example of this where they have a, um, they have a sovereign wealth fund that they, what, they, they basically, rather than giving the oil wealth away to... Um, to uh, other corporates and so on, they, they basically kept it for Norway and put it into a, a vast fund mm-hmm. um, to, when, when, the, when the oil ran out, they'd have all this wealth. What they said, though, was not one kroner of that was allowed to be invested in Norway because of that relationship between the huge pot of money and a, and a much smaller economy than we have. But it's, we're approaching, you know, if, if the mm-hmm. intergenerational report is correct, we are heading to a world where we... We have this awesome amount of capital and at, at, at the moment, um, you know, approaching half of it is already being uh, invested overseas for, for that very reason. We have an outsized stock market already. We've had that for, gosh, a long time. Uh, and, there, and what about the way we govern it? Uh, you've also been talking about that, just whether we're structurally ready within government for this t- this type of challenge. I mean, Treasury governs uh, super, doesn't it? It does. And that's that's actually, when you look around the world, that's relatively unusual. So um, even in, Ch- in China and the US, it's the Department of, uh, of Labor. In the UK, it's the Department of Workplace and Pensions. It's unusual to have such a large pension system um, existing in, in policy terms anyway um, within a Treasury where it's, you know, it's very much... Uh, it wouldn't be a second order issue. It's more like a ninth order issue, and I'm not I'm not being critical of Treasury, but there are millions of other jobs that rank ahead of looking after the super system, and this might be a reason why we have we keep having all these ad, ad hoc reviews. If you look at the last over the last decade, we've had significant reviews um, done, you know, outside the Treasury, if you like, um, into the system. Um, so what do you think ought to be happening? Should it be a whole... Because, I mean, really, what you are describing, and obviously it's been coming for a while, but it's this, it's this giant thing <laughs> on the horizon and anybody who wants to be powerful, I presume, in the future in Australia will have to have some involvement with the super industry because it's just going to be this giant pot of money. Seems to be the case. It would be very expensive and tedious to uh, to re-engineer that and probably doesn't, with all of the other priorities and, and things, probably doesn't... Um, Right, much. I've always thought that the super industry ought to have a more formal relationship with the Reserve Bank, and I don't. I don't want to get too um, too technical here, but um, much like the way that um, the banks themselves can access emergency capital from the RBA by holding bonds, which it can. Uh, I'll, I'll use simple language. It can transact with the, the Reserve Bank using using Commonwealth bonds. The super system doesn't do that, and that'd be one one piece of engineering that I would um, I would push strongly forward. Uh, push strongly for going forward. 
Okay. Well, we'll just see how the and how that if that is correct about the big eight uh, setting up this new body that's going to be lobbying very definitely and bipartisan. I think it'll be fascinating to watch. Uh, Jeremy Cooper, thank you again for uh, coming in and explaining the the possibilities. Always a pleasure, Darrell. Jeremy Cooper, who's a, a superannuation specialist, and uh, very much welcome your thoughts on whether your own thoughts are evolving about superannuation um, as the system itself seems to be. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.